Hey, welcome to Sermon Scraps this week. Last week, we started a new sermon series, Walking Through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, again, I've got a couple different kinds of journal Bibles this time. So this is the one I like just because I'm uh, more academically inclined. So then you've got uh, blank notes on one side and, and the text on the other. Um, so I also thought I would add uh, some illustrated journal Bibles this time. They just have some really cool graphics interspersed throughout them. So if you haven't gotten yours yet, we have uh, plenty left. So make sure you grab one of those. Uh, so this week, we started Mark 1, looking at the first uh, 20-ish verses together. Um, I say 20-ish because we're actually going to go back and start in verse 16 for this next week's text because it sets the stage for where Jesus is going to be going for, for the rest of this week. So a few things I, I just didn't have time to dig into because of uh, each time we start a new book, you need to have uh, like a, an understanding of, of the history, the background, and then like major themes to just be aware of as, as, we're, as we're walking through it. Um, so the, the primary things that I didn't address are uh, a two things and then one corrective from something I said on Sunday. So the first is why was Jesus baptized if he didn't sin? So generally the act of baptism is connected to repentance. So you think of what uh, John the Baptist said uh, in verse four, it says he proclaimed a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. How does that work with Jesus who didn't have any sins to be forgiven? Um, so uh, uh, many well, there's a lot of, there's a couple reasons. Um, one is to be obedient uh, because he was he was uh, following and, and submissive to what his father commanded him to do. And it's also uh, to set an example for us to follow. Um, so one of the commands, the last great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples that is still in, in effect for us today is to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, we also have passages like uh, Romans 6, which is a, uh, one of the um, theological underpinnings for baptism today. Romans 6, 3, uh, Paul says, do you now know that all of us, uh, sorry, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So what that means for us is as we go through the act of baptism today, um, we are baptized like uh, into or with Jesus. So Jesus serves as our like as our representative um, completely, fully. That's why the question we asked Sunday: Why uh, why must he read, uh, who who was the redeemer? Uh, something like that. And then the answer is uh, someone one who is or what sort of redeemers need to bring us back to God? One who is truly God and truly man. Um, and so then that model serves as as the model for all believers moving forward. Great commission: baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You look in the Book of Acts um, after Jesus preaches the the most effective sermon in all of human history. People are cut to the heart. And, and ask Peter what must they do to be saved. Peter says, repent and be baptized. You think of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. So he's reading reading the scrolls in the Old Testament, comes across, stumbles across Philip, and Philip explains the gospel to him. The guy believes, and immediately they hop out of the, the chariot that they're riding in, and the guy's baptized. Um, in fact, as you look through the overall um, storyline of, of the New Testament, one author is actually equipped, and I, I, I just say one author because I don't remember who it was, uh, but the, it might have been John Stott, but don't quote me on that. Uh, the New Testament can barely conceive of an unbaptized Christian. Um, now, it's interesting to note that that through church history, it changed a little bit. So as we read through the, the book of Acts, it was it looked like baptism was an immediate response to salvation in people's lives. But as time went on, it changed. So eventually it got to the point where, where if someone wanted to be baptized, they had to go through a year-long catechesis process. And then it, as part of their baptismal ceremony, they actually had to recite every answer from memory before they were going to be baptized. Now, some parts, an aspect of that is good and helpful. Um, 
Um, you think of, of Jesus' words in Luke uh, Luke chapter 14, where he talks about someone needing to count the cost of discipleship. So like someone doesn't go to war unless they unless they um, um, figure out if they're able to win it. Um, so just some of that application uh, taken from Luke 14 can be helpful. Um, but but it's it's at the same time, where is the bar too high when, when you read through the Gospels and the only thing someone needs to do is to be saved is repent and believe. Um, now, I think there's there's a, a fine a fine line to walk or a, a balance you can strike between that, um, where, where you're, you're not just being flippant in your approach to baptism, but then you're also not asking someone to go through a year-long catechesis process. In fact, like there's, there's even discussions recently about this. Like there's a there's a, a huge megachurch, one of the biggest churches in the country. Um, was There was a, like a leaked document that came out from the church. on a, a, There was a guide on how to put together spontaneous baptisms. Um, and one of the pieces of the spontaneous baptisms was... Uh, you need to have plants in the congregation to incite excitement in the rest of the crowd. Um, so that to me feels very much like manipulation. Now I'm all for people responding to a gospel message. So if, if like in the act of, of, of us having a baptism service, if someone else is, is convicted of, of their need to be obedient to Jesus command to be baptized, I am all for that. What I don't like is when people are manipulated or coerced into that. However, there's also a caveat even to that. I have yet to find any passage in scripture that says baptism is an optional add-on in the life of a believer. So if you have not yet been baptized, as strongly as I can encourage you, be obedient to Jesus' explicit command and be baptized. Now one other note is is um, Jesus gave us two ordinances that we are supposed to follow in our lives today. Sacraments, whatever title you want to refer to them as. Unlike communion, which is a regular ongoing meal that we participate in, baptism is a one-time thing. Um, there's one, one forgiveness of sins. There's one time time where you are brought from death into life. So unlike communion, baptism serves as a one time. It, it signifies your entrance into this new family. Now, second thing that I didn't really get to talk about uh, much on Sunday is what it says uh, about the Trinity here. Uh, verse 10, it says, saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Now it's really careful to note that it says the spirit is like a dove. The spirit is not a dove. Uh, other, other cases in Acts 2, for instance, when, when the disciples are praying and, and the spirit descends on them, it's described as like a tongue of fire, but not actually a tongue of fire. Now the Holy Spirit is just, is, is a person just like the other two persons of the Godhead. Um, we talked about this in, in quite a bit of detail over the past couple, well, it ended up being like three weeks, um, because of the family get together together in the middle of it, but uh, in my Sunday school class, we talked through the Trinity. So if you have any questions further on that, talk to anyone that was in that class. Um, the third thing that I just wanted to offer a corrective, um, just because there's been some debate and discussion around this, is like this weird, almost throwaway fate phrase in uh, verse 13. Um, so it's, it's after Jesus' baptism, it says, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. Now, Mark is the only gospel of the four that, that recounts the, he was with the wild animals. So it's led to a lot of speculation and debate about why does Mark mention this and what is the point of this? Um, now the big point, the big picture is Mark is setting Jesus up as the new Adam and the new Israel. So there, there's this idea called typology in the Bible, like this, there's this little book that, uh, came out, I think it was last year, um, that I really, I really like what, what Jim Hamilton does as far as um, putting the, the biblical theology together. Like how do we, we look at these themes like Adam, Adam as a federal head, but then there's, there's other um, at, uh, 
people that would point us back to Adam or a type of Adam. And even Adam is just a type of Christ. He's pointing us forward to Christ, similar to Jesus. And Jesus in Romans is described as the new Adam. So what Mark is doing in, in this opening gospel is, is he's, he's making all these descriptions and, and references back to Jesus being the fulfillment of Adam and being a new Israel. So you think of, of him wandering in the wilderness for 40 days. It's representative of many other people throughout history who wandered for 40 days, going into the wilderness. Just like just like the nation of Israel wandered around in the wilderness. You have the temptation piece where Adam was tempted, just as Israel was tempted in the wilderness. But unlike all these other people, Jesus did not sin. So the question or the debate around the wild animals piece comes, are the wild animals like the wild animals of violence after the fall? Or is it a picture of the new heavens and the new earth where, where Jesus was in good relationship with these animals? Now, I, as I shared, I read conflicting reports in my study last week and actually ended up leaning towards violence, but then had other conversations after the message that now has led me to the other side where I think it is Jesus was still cared for. It talks about him being ministered to by the angels. So where all these other people were, were unable to have this, this renewed uh, uh, picture and relationship of, of what the new heavens and the new earth are going to look like, Jesus perfectly fulfilled and provides the solution to all of the world's problems that had come up until that point. Um, now that, I mean, there, there's some some interesting things that that, that I'll uh, probably be talking about as we go through this gospel about um, Jesus being the the only uh, true human who has ever lived. Um, like, just just think through what it would look like to, or what it would feel like to be looking around the world around you as someone who knows what human humanity is supposed to be and supposed to look like, yet sin continually ruining and corrupting that. Um, so as you read through the Gospels and you see Jesus like weeping over Jerusalem, um, it, it, like the, the Greek word is referring to like anger or stirring up in his soul, this, this, this uh, desire for something more. Because um, he knows this is not the way that, that things are supposed to be. That's where when he comes, he like he. There's no more sickness. There's no more death. There's no more nor more tears other than tears of joy, um, because Jesus comes and fixes everything that is broken. Um, so those are some thoughts on on Mark chapter one. I'm really looking forward to continuing to walk through this book with you. I uh, hope it has been encourage, an encouraging start. Um, I, I did get some funny texts from people uh, after the message. On uh, one person said he woke up Monday with uh, that's lit just stuck in his head. So I hope that's not the only thing that stood out to you from the text this week, but uh, we'll be continuing. We'll finish Mark chapter one this week as we dive right into the beginnings of Jesus' ministry. Hope you all are having a wonderful week, and Lord willing, we'll see you on Sunday.